Leadership is crucial to the success of any organization. The church is no exception. Everything rises and falls on leadership, and no body of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will rise above its leaders. So what is God looking for in a leader? The Apostle Paul tells us it is a man who is above reproach, blameless, the husband of one wife, not arrogant, hospitable, not a bully, sensible, not greedy, self-controlled, able to teach and encourage with sound doctrine. This is what the Bible requires for leaders. This is what God expects in elders. What do these passages teach us? Well, as we saw previously, when it comes to elders, character is key. An elder must love God deeply. An elder must be faithful to his wife and, and be a godly dad. If he's single, he, he must be faithful and pure. Last week, we looked at the reality that an elder will have Christ-like interactions with other people. He'll show people respect in, in the way that he deals with them. And this morning, we'll see that an elder must be faithful to God's Word in his ministry to the church. So as we complete our series this morning on biblical elders, I hope that you will gain a firm grasp of the spiritual qualifications that are required for elders. Soon our church will be electing some lay elders to serve alongside our staff pastors and we want you to be prepared to, to, to evaluate those candidates in light of the word. As we look at today's passages, we're going to focus on three ways that an elder faithfully ministers in the church, the word of God. And along the way, we'll think about what these passages mean for all of us. So as we look at these passages more closely, we see that first of all, an elder must teach. An elder must teach. Look in 1 Timothy 3, 2. He says that an elder must be able to teach. Now, Christianity was founded by the greatest teacher who ever lived. And teaching is a foundational aspect of the Christian faith. So an elder must be able to pass on the faith. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus gave what's often called the Great Commission. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Now, notice that Jesus uh, commanded that all believers share the gospel and that all believers be prepared to teach the truths of the faith to others. So every person who knows Jesus is called upon to tell others about him and to teach others about him. But an elder must have a proven ability to teach. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul explained that God gave some to be pastors or elders to, to equip the body of Christ. So an elder is called upon to, to help the church learn the word so that they can share the gospel and, and disciple and teach others the faith. Now this teaching might happen from a pulpit in a gathered worship service like, like we are right now. It could happen in a Sunday school class or a small group. It could even happen in one-on-one -on -one scenarios and biblical counseling situations or mentoring relationships. What is key is that an elder has a firm grasp of God's word and that he's able to communicate it to others in such a way that they grasp it. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, Paul reminded Timothy, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. 
Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. As we look at the books of Titus and 1 Peter, we're going to see that they sort of help explain what Paul means by able to teach here. In Titus 1.9, Paul says that an elder must hold to the faithful message as taught. The word that's translated hold uh, fast here can mean, can mean cling to. One writer said that it meant a fierce attachment to. So what we see is that an elder must be very, very committed to the word of God must be committed to the reality that it's true. He must hold fast to it. Notice that he says that an elder must hold fast to what has been taught. What does this mean? Well, an elder isn't innovative. He's not coming up with new ideas. We have to be careful about that. There, there are some traditions with Christianity where there's always somebody trying to come up with something new. That's not, that's not what, that's not what uh, Paul called for. He called us to remain committed to the word as passed on to us from the apostles. Another, another area where you see this uh, often compromised is in progressive or liberal Christianity. They'll use the same words that we use, grace and faith and gospel. But the reality is when you listen to their message, it's far from the gospel message that Jesus and his apostles preached. So we must stay tied to the word of God, not something new. We're going back to the book. What does the word of God say? An elder must be committed to the word and must have a firm grasp of the word of God. In Titus 1.9, Paul says that an elder must encourage with sound teaching. The word for encourage here can mean tender care. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, for example. Or it can mean to, to push a bit, a firm exhortation. We see that in 2 Thessalonians 3.12. So a pastor seeks to encourage or to exhort, not with his own wisdom, but with the word of God, with sound doctrine, with faithful teaching from God's word. Titus 1.9, Paul also says that an elder must be able to refute those who contradict. In other words, an elder has to know the word well enough that he can confront false teaching, that, that, he, can, that he can confront a false teacher or uh, work with a member maybe who's drifting into false teaching. Now, there are many groups who claim to follow the teachings of Scripture that have moved far away from what the Bible teaches. This is why Christians throughout the centuries have utilized confessional statements. A confessional statement basically is a confession of what we believe the Bible teaches. In our own church, our confessional statement is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. We ask that all teachers teach in accord with that statement of faith. And we ask that all members be able to affirm that statement of faith. We believe that's a, an articulation of what Scripture teaches. So an elder must be willing to confront false teaching and to hold fast to the Word of God. In 1 Peter 5.3, Peter calls elders to be examples to the flock. What we see is that a critical element of teaching is not just with words, though words are critically important. A critical element of teaching is the elder's own life. Does he live what he teaches? The elder will teach by modeling. So, so an elder must strive to live the kind of life that would help other believers want to follow Jesus. That there's a congru congruence with what he teaches and the way that he lives. Now, when you were a kid, did you ever had a, have a teacher who just really helped you understand something you were struggling to learn? She showed you this diagram or, or offered that explanation or demonstra demonstration, and before you knew it, you knew it. You, you got it. And that's what an elder is supposed to be able to do with the word of God. He's supposed to be able to take the word and help 
people understand it, to get it. Now, what does this look like in our church family and in our own lives? Well, we should elect men to serve as elders who have a firm commitment to God's word and who can communicate it with clarity. Is he firmly committed to the truthfulness and the authority of the scriptures? Does he have a firm grasp of biblical teaching? Is he so committed to the word that he's willing to confront false teaching? Has he taught others in the worship service or in a class or, or small group or more informally in one-on-one scenarios where he's taken the word and helped people understand it? And, and are they helped by his explanation, by his teaching of the word? And does his example reveal the reality of what he teaches? Now, these are the questions we need to be thinking about when, when we elect lay elders. Also, every Christian is called upon to disciple others. Every believer In other words, should have a firm commitment to the Word of God. Every one of us should. Every Christian, as I mentioned a moment ago, is called to share the gospel with others and to disciple them, to teach them the basic truths of the faith. That's what Jesus said plainly in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. So I want to ask you, if you're a Christian, are you reading God's Word daily? Are you getting into the Word? Are you studying the Word? Are you seeking to share Jesus on the mission field that He's placed you? That may be your coworkers. It may be neighbors. It may be your family. Are you day-to-day seeking to have conversations, just your casual conversation, where you begin to talk about Jesus with, with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor? Are, are, you, are you doing that? Brothers and sisters, as Christians, this is our call. Is it any wonder that our nation is like it is? That our churches are empty and dying? Most of the time, as believers, we ignore this. We say, yes, that's right, everybody's supposed to share the gospel, and then none of us do it. Friends, if we claim to believe the book, we've got to live it. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you discipling? These are not commands for just pastors. These are the commands that are are required of all who know Jesus. There needs to be a change. We need to make a change. We claim to believe it. We need to live it. And by God's grace, we can. With the the enablement of the Holy Spirit, we can live it. So seek to share Jesus and to teach others in whatever mission field God has placed you. Again, that may be your coworkers. There may be a coworker that you're working with who needs to hear the gospel. Maybe a neighbor across the street. If you're a parent, you're called to reach the unreached people group known as your children. And you're called to disciple them and to nurture them in the faith. And one of the ways that you do that is by by gathering together as a family daily and just spending a few minutes, not long, just a few minutes to to read a little bit of the scriptures, to, to pray together, to sing a song together, do a time of family worship. That's one of the ways that we disciple our kids. We want we want our lives to be about the mission that God has given us. That's where we're going to find life and fulfillment and obedience to God. So all of us are also called to set the right kind of example. If we claim to to know Jesus, our lives need to back that up. We don't want to be saying one thing and then living another. We want our lives to back it up. Are you taking part in this critical mission? I want you for a moment to imagine a relay. Generations before us have ran the race and they've been faithful. That's how we know the gospel. Because people before us shared the gospel with us and they, they took seriously the call that God had given us. But now, brothers and sisters, the baton's in our hand. 
how will we run? Will we be faithful for the good of of our children, for the good of our friends, for the good of our community, for the good of the next generation? Will we take that baton and run? Or will we dilly-dally around, too busy with this and that, too distracted by our phones, too apathetic to care? Oh, friends, God has given us a mission. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we've seen that it is critical for an elder to teach. How else does an elder faithfully minister? Well, second, an elder must lead. What does this look like? In 1 Timothy 3, 5, Paul is addressing the elder's family, and he asks a rhetorical question. If anyone cannot manage his own family, how will he take care of God's church? But here we get a sense of the calling of an elder. He's to take care of. He's to manage. He's to provide leadership in the family of God. In Titus 1.7, Paul speaks of an overseer of God's household. Again, this word indicates something of the responsibilities of an elder. He's to provide oversight to provide leadership. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So elders are called to lead in the church. In 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, Paul says that an overseer shouldn't lead out of compulsion, but willingly, eagerly, not lording it over those Uh, who are part of the church family. So an elder's leadership is marked by a certain Christ-likeness. An elder doesn't try to lord it over church members or or push them around. As as we looked at in weeks before, an elder is not a bully, but he's gentle. Jesus taught this by example. John 13, 14 and 15, Jesus said, So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you may also do as I have done for you. An elder's leadership is marked by this kind of servanthood. With the Super Bowl around the corner, it's interesting to see the duel between the quarterbacks, isn't it? You've got a veteran Tom Brady playing for the Buccaneers, 43 years old, six Super Bowl rings, considered the best quarterback of all time, even beating out Joe Montana in his stats. And he's going up against Patrick Mahomes, who played for Tech, 25 years old, uh, won a Super Bowl ring last year. How will this matchup go? How will these two men lead their teams? That's going to be one of the most interesting aspects of, of this year's Super Bowl. Who do you think will win? Will it be the Buccaneers or will it be the Chiefs? Much of this will depend on these two men. One of them is going to lead his team to a championship. You see, leadership matters. It matters on the field. It matters on the court. It matters in the Capitol building, the schoolhouse, your home, and it matters in the church. Now, an elder offers godly leadership not by throwing a game-winning pass, but by bringing the word to bear in the lives of God's people and by bringing the word to bear on the church family as it faces challenges and and opportunities. So what does this look like in our church family and in our own lives? Well, we should elect men who are servant leaders. We need to ask the question, will this man lead in accord with God's word? Will he lead in the way that scripture says to lead, which which is marked by service? 
Does he demonstrate the fortitude that's required of of a leader who stands on the word of God? Does he demonstrate this kind of godly biblical leadership? He may be a leader in the community or a leader in business, but this is not an automatic qualification to be an elder. No, he must be a spiritual leader marked by godly character, commitment to the word, and a willingness to serve the church family. So we've seen that an elder must be a leader in the church. How else do elders faithfully minister? Well, third, an elder must shepherd the church family. In 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter commands elders to shepherd God's flock. In the original language, the word for shepherd here is the verb form uh, of the word that's used in Ephesians 4, 11 for pastor. In other words, a shepherd is to pastor, to care for the people. They know the people in the church, and they seek the spiritual good of the people in the church. As a shepherd cares for the sheep, so elders care for church members. In the difficult days of life, elders walk alongside members of the church family. They're to support and encourage them. And even in the joyous times, things like weddings and 50th anniversaries and praying over that newborn baby when she's born, those kinds of times. Of course, most of the care that happens in the church doesn't happen from pastor to to member. It happens from member to member as we minister to each other, as we live out the one another's of Scripture. But elders are there to focus on the especially difficult situations. For example, James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So in this verse, we see someone who's so sick that he's not able to come, but he has to call for the elders to come to him. And the responsibility is that the elders would come and pray. So you see, there's this sense in which elders are there in the, in the tough times. In Acts 20, Paul meets with the elders of the church at Ephesus. In verse 35, Paul says that elders must help the weak. Help the weak. So elders walk alongside church members who are struggling in their faith through the ups and downs of of life, seeking to help them along in the Lord. Now in John uh, chapter 10, Jesus taught about himself with some powerful imagery. I'll pick up in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know my Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Elders should be like Jesus, the good shepherd, when it comes to the church not the hired hand who flees at the first sign of trouble. No, God wants elders to care for and minister to the church family. So let's think about what this looks like in our own church and in our own lives. Well, we should elect men who have a shepherd's heart. Does this man care for others? Does he strive to support and strengthen other Christians in the ups and downs of life? Does he seek to nurture the faith of of fellow believers and help them along in the Lord? Does he pray for others faithfully? Does he long to protect church members from straying away from the Lord or or from false teaching? Does he exhort and encourage church members to walk with Christ? Is he willing to help the weak? You see, we want to elect men who are already doing these kinds of things in the lives of the church. 
Also, look to the chief shepherd, Jesus. In 1 Peter 5, 4, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. Why? Because he gave his life for his people. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. But sinful man nailed him to the cross. And on that cross, he bled and died and suffered, taking the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion upon himself. He made a way for sinful people like me and like you to be in a right relationship with a God who is completely holy. You see, God is pure, absolutely sinless, and heaven is a perfect place. No sin is allowed in heaven. No sinners are allowed in heaven. But that leaves us in a terrible situation because every single one of us is guilty of not just one sin. Oh, friends, we are guilty of countless sin. Some of us have imagined that on the day of judgment, we would stand before God and we would, we would give Him our resume and say, look at how good I am. Oh, but friends, to think that way is crazy. We're not good compared to the Holy of Holies. Our best is a joke. Oh, we'll have no hope on the day of judgment if we think that we're going to tell God how good we were. Friend, there's only one way when you stand before God on the day of judgment that you can be prepared for that day, and that is that the blood of Christ has washed away your sin and that the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been given to you. You see, when we repent of our sin or we turn from our sin, we say to God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead. I want to follow him. When we say that and we mean it, God saves us, and, and he does a miracle. He takes all of our, our yucky, disgusting sin. And it is. And he puts it on his own son. And then he takes the beautiful, perfect righteousness of Jesus and he grants that to us. And now when, when I stand before God on judgment day, I don't have to stand hoping that I've been good enough. Friends, I can stand on the day of judgment with confidence because the righteousness of Christ is mine. I ask you, is the righteousness of Christ yours? Have you ever turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus? That, that is the only hope that you and I have on the day of judgment that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus and that his righteousness has been granted to us. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, today you could do that. And I plead with you too, to turn to him in faith. Yes, look to the good shepherd. I was, was reading one author who noted uh, the most central, what is most central about being a shepherd. Now think with me for a moment. Think of a shepherd what comes to mind? Maybe you've seen one in a movie or maybe you've traveled and you've actually had the opportunity to see a real life shepherd. What do you think of? Do you think of a, a Bedouin in robes with a staff pushing sheep into a pen? Or do you think of a, a farmer in the days of old leading sheep across beautiful green pastures? Whatever comes to mind as you think of a shepherd, one element is central. One element stands out and that is that a shepherd is with the sheep. And so it is with elders. An elder must care for the people of God, must seek to be with them and to know them. An elder must have the heart of a shepherd 
for the people of God. An elder seeks to strengthen and encourage the people for their spiritual good, always in accord with the scriptures. So when it comes to elders, remember this, he must minister to the church in faithfulness to the word of God. Friend, if you're listening here or you're listening online and you don't know Jesus, I plead with you, turn to him. Turn to him in faith. He died that you might be saved. He gave his life. Don't reject that. Don't reject that. You you think that you're going to live forever. You think, oh, I've got years ahead, but you may not. And you'll be worse off for having heard this sermon when you stand before God on the day of judgment if you don't repent. You'll be worse off on that day for having heard the truth of the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. If you do not know the Lord Jesus, I plead with you, turn to him. If you're watching online, text the word Jesus to our church phone number and we'll be in touch. We would love to visit with you more. If you're here today and you want to talk more about how to know Christ, in just a few moments, we'll stand and sing. When we do, I'll be up here. I would love to visit with you. Uh, Me, Ralph, Greg, we'll be around after the service. We would love to visit with you as well. You don't have to visit with one of us. You can call out to him right where you are to save you. But we would love to walk alongside you as you call out to him. Please, if you've never trusted Christ, let today be the day. And if you're here and you're a brother and sister in Christ, you're you're a believer, I have two questions for you as we reflect on, on the message that we've talked about today. First, are you making disciples? Are you getting into God's word where you're able to learn the word and be changed by the word and and share that with others? Are you making disciples? Is there someone that you're seeking to share Jesus with? Is there someone that you're discipling and helping grow in the faith who's younger than you in the faith? These are the responsibilities of every Christian. Do you take this responsibility seriously? Are you a disciple maker? Second, are you growing deeper in your love for Jesus? Do you love him more today than you did the day before, than you did a year ago? Are you really growing deeper in him? Or are you just sort of high-centered in your faith? Today, take the step that you need to take to, to grow deeper in your love for Jesus. Maybe it is getting into his word and beginning to read it daily. Maybe it's to be more serious about a time of prayer. Maybe some of you need to join a a Bible study or a group where you learn with others and where you can encourage and spur one another on. If that's you, text the word group to our church phone number and, and we'll help you find a place to connect. Whatever step you need to take, I am urging you as a brother in, uh, as a brother in Christ, do not reject what God is putting on your heart. We didn't come here to play games. We came here to be transformed by the Lord. We came here to be changed. Whatever step you need to take, you take that step. Let's pray.